brought to you almost live from the dude in the basement studios. Why? Because that's where the good stuff is. It sips, suds, and smokes with your smoking host, the good old boys. It's sippin' time. Hey, welcome to this Sips episode, everyone, where everything good in life is worth discussing. This is good old boy Mike welcoming you to this very special episode today. We got together with a group of journalists covering the Bourbon Classic Festival in Louisville, Kentucky. This week, we get to cover some of the trips that we took while we were at the festival as well as a range of topics of great discussion in the bourbon industry it was a great time and i think you'll enjoy our discussion across the board as well as getting to know some of our other friends in the media we've asked jonathan from eight piece box to host this episode as well take it away jonathan Hey, this is Jonathan from 8-Piece Box, and we're here in the lovely Kentucky Center for the Arts, where we're in the midst of the Bourbon Classic. This is uh, Louisville's big celebration of what attorney Lionel Hutz called the brownest of the brown liquors. Um, a big event that's happening, and we decided since we're, we're going to have a whole bunch of great bourbon minds, bourbon podcasters, bourbon bloggers, that we get us all together and record one massive podcast. So uh, so that's what we're doing here, and I thought I'd start by just uh, going around the table and, uh, and everybody say who you are. And and what your uh, what your outlet is? I'm good old boy Zane with Sips, Suds, and Smokes. Hey, it's good old boy Mike, and I'm also from Sips, Suds, and Smokes. And Mike is running our sound. I should give him a shout out right now. <laughs> this is Bill with Modern Thirst, and this is Matt with Modern Thirst. Uh, Chris with Bottom of the Barrel. Melissa with Bourbon and Banter. This is Darren with Bottom of the Barrel. This is Charlie with the Charlie Tonic Hour. And that makes me Jenny Tonic with the Charlie Tonic Hour and Bourbon and Banter. Dual representation. (laughs) I'm Tamara with Eight Piece Box. And uh, so we wanted to start by thanking a few people. We've had a, a great few days. Want to give a shout out to uh, to Dan and Four Roses. Definitely uh, want to thank Lorraine and the Bourbon Classic for giving us some space here to record. Uh, we want to thank uh, Larry at Mint Julep Tours for being awesome. Larry for life. Go Larry. Larry Larry's for awesome. life. Uh, hashtag Larry for life, and uh, we want to thank the late great Elmer T. Lee for uh, fueling today's uh, today's podcast exploits. So we've uh, we've been on the road for a couple of days. We've uh, been able to travel around a little bit and see some great stuff. So uh, we started at um, two days ago, I guess, at Kentucky Peerless. So who wants to talk a little bit about our experience over there? I'll just mention that I you know I live here in Louisville and and I've, I've probably driven past Sixth um, Street fifty times and didn't even realize where it was because um, it's it's just on the side of Main it Street is, you don't it's t- just tend to far go enough to. out that that it's hard to uh, to quite see unless you're looking for it. I'm gonna break the glass. The dude loves his wood. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, he he does love the wood. Yeah, and it we is. should say that. 
<laughs> it's the most precise craft always that one guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there's there's that one. one lecturing us about this being a family. Yeah. <laughs> How long did that take? Started. Really? Although, yeah. I do think everyone. Haven't listened to the podcast, have you? Not that family. But you were saying about precision. Yeah, I mean, so I've never seen a craft distillery as obsessed with precision. I think everything he showed us, he said, this is within half a pound of grain. You know, everything is within half a pound. We a quarter of a degree, a tenth of a degree temperature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he was talking about doing that so that everything is always consistent, but... You're working with agricultural products, and you're always going to have some inconsistency just with your base ingredients. So I'm not sure that that level of precision is really necessary. Well, I think you know, you want to control what you can. You know, the things that, that you can have under your control, you you want to try to do what you can with. And this is, and I think it's an example. And we'll talk about Old Taylor as well. I mean, the problem with opening a bourbon distillery is that you can't really have any product for a few years. You know, for at least um, you know legally two to four years, you can't release anything called bourbon. Um, you can release other things. And and they were they had some moonshine, some flavored me yeah, some lucky lucky moonshine that they they had, which was. Interesting. I mean, it was not not horrible, but he was very uh, unapologetically saying, "Like, yeah, it's moonshine. It's not good." Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to pay some bills. Yeah, we got to keep the lights they on somehow. Tried to like put their heart into it, be like, "Yeah, this is great moonshine. You're gonna love this." And he wasn't even trying to no. convince us. Well, but. you know, I thought what was uh, interesting about the concept of of laying in a PLC unit right from the get go was exactly the level of precision and when you think about some of the most interesting products that have come about have been a result of a mistake mm-hmm. i used too much corn i used too much water i happened to you know uh get a a, a rogue you know yeast strain and there's a lot of head nodding going around the room here so you know the the thing is is that uh i really wonder if they're almost allowing some of the natural artisanship you know to come through you know that was part of the i remember that was part of the discussion we had kind of walking walking back was what is the craft part of the craft distillery if everything is just a matter of precision aren't you just another scaled down version of uh, Diageo you know at that point it's called marketing but I think I think Tamara hit on something really interesting though because not every batch of corn is going to yield the same amount of sugar depending on the the crop conditions and and when it was harvested so even if they're going to try to be the most consistent distillery in the world there's a very good chance that they're not going to be that consistent because they're trying to be so consistent whereas a Marianne Barnes or someone else who might go in and and taste the distillate coming off and say this isn't as sweet as it normally is or uh, there's something I don't like, there and tweak I mean, I'm going to tweak the next batch yeah. to blend it together or the something like that. The whole single barrel market is built on the fact yeah. that every barrel is right. unique, right? I mean, there's a yeah, huge if, market in If there. every barrel every, were the same, then uh, the, they'd all be the exist. same. Yeah, it just tastes like they're... I'm still okay with the label product. I mean, I think if you want to try to control what you can. So. Control what you can, yeah, and, and then let those variations come out. You know, you can can do that but it was i thought it was a pretty it's a great facility i mean they're clearly this is a facility with a lot of history they were one of the distilleries that had a medicinal license during prohibition that they were able to uh to keep distilling during those days i believe is what they were saying and uh dsb 50 yeah 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 they're they're 50 uh in the and they said what they're up to what are what are the numbers they're giving 20, out 2013 and, yeah. and, and past yeah. yeah yeah in the 20,000 so so you know maybe 50 that's just amazing well and i think the most important thing is they let us taste a 10 month old i think it was uh, yeah 10 month old rye. Right. Right. and it was fantastic it was delicious i, I could drink it today It'd be perfect at, at 10 months it was absolutely fantastic i can't even imagine what it's gonna be at two years yeah, yeah it's way better yeah. than the will it two years already 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, that is going to be good stuff. Back at the facility itself, the thing that surprised me the most is I had no idea there was warehousing in downtown Louisville of yeah. any any whiskey, and they mm. had several thousand space for several thousand barrels there. Can we say fire violation? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he did say it was the only I think code one uh, flammable storage in, in downtown Louisville it was yeah. was their warehouse, and it, it was very surprising. Yeah, coming soon to a news report. Yeah. Yeah. So when you hear the Great Louisville Fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so yeah, that was a great. Uh, we started there, and then we went over to um, d- down the street to Copper and Kings, which is a brandy uh, distillery. They've been around for a few years here in in Louisville, and uh, we got to hear uh, a lot about making brandy. I'd never been on a brandy tour before. I don't think I'd ever been to a place where they made brandy. Had anybody else? No, I've been to Copper and Kings uh, once before, mm-hmm. uh, and I've seen uh, I've seen the owner speak several times. Yeah, but, um, I don't think you could have two more opposite craft distilleries in yeah. one <laughs> one visit in one day. It was I did, we didn't get there. I was like, this is literally the most hipster place I've ever. Been. Yeah, <laughs> they had That's Monarch Butterfly assessment. Refuge in the, in yeah. the front yard, and it, like there's shipping containers involved. It's uh, yeah, it it is a little, and, and I'm not it's, I'm not disparaging. I use hipster in a, a neutral way, I suppose. But it was a very, uh, yeah. And so we get to Copper and Kings and we went down into the basement where they age a lot of the brandy and uh, they've got a lot of their barrels down there. And we hear, uh, this is what we hear. So there's just ACDC blasting. At teeth rattling levels. Teeth rattling <laughs> levels. It was really like, you know, it, it took me back to high school is what it did. Um, you were in, in my high school, you were issued a copy of that album. Minus um, the black lights. For yeah, pretty, pretty much. Who has the tat? But you know, and we, here we thought, hey, they're just hanging out, they're having a good time. But uh, but apparently, this, this is something they call sonic aging, where they uh, have a more temperature controlled area in their basement. The ordinarily within a bourbon warehouse, the temperature variations over the course of the year pulls the liquor in and out of the wood. Uh, you don't have that in that uh, level of control. So the the sound waves they say pulsate and pulsate the the liquid inside the barrels and it makes it extract flavor from the wood. It was something like um, the uh, <laughs> the ethanol was lighter than the water, so it would ricochet off the barrel and then come back in. Bull crap. Also, yeah, I know. Uh, it was also a philosophical thing for them. You know, yeah. all yeah. the stills were named after women in Bob Dylan songs, and well, he repeated. Well, that I buy. You know, yeah. it was like ISIS. Their their new things. series. Their new series is called Kraftwerk, so. <laughs> <laughs> which I can't say without the German inflection, but still, yeah. um, Kraftwerk. But uh, yeah, so it, you know, I think they're they're trying to tie it into their whole music philosophy. I'd like to like to see them try some single barrel lines. So this is our ACDC line. Yeah, we only yeah. played Back in Black the entire time. This <laughs> because, because of because a few minutes later, we uh, you know the AC, the ACDC goes away and, and it switches to Chicago uh, from from the Chicago Seventeen, I believe it was You're the Inspiration, and here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're wondering, you know, do you, and I agree, and we're like, does I, I'm guessing the ACDC brandy is much better, um, at least much, much cooler. I, I think that they that should be part of the label disclosure, you yeah. know, on the back of the brandy. This brandy was was made with the following uh, choices of music and playlists, like a set, you know, yeah. It, yeah. It's like, dude, I'm not biting the Peter Cetera bottle, okay? It is not happening, you know. There is yeah. there is nothing worthy of air supply and brandy in the same bottle. Yeah. Was it? They, said level. they had played everything except Katy Perry down there. Like that was that, the line that was for that. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, okay, okay. I want to go for the very white though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, <laughs> I'm ready. Oh yeah, the the bong rattling bass. Uh, oh, baby. If there's not a Nickelback series, I'm not buying. <laughs> 
We'll be right back after this break. But so, yeah. so we got to try all these, and I think I think a lot of us were really blown away. Craftwork was amazing. The craftwork ones were amazing. And uh, describe these. What's what's going on with these? They're, the the craftworks are brandy. I guess it's their sort of reserve brandy, but it's aged in barrels that were previously used to age uh, four different types of beer. Um, and so it's kind of interesting because the barrels were originally to age bourbon, and then they were aging beer, and now they're aging brandy. So it's beer, bourbon, brandy, brandy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, some of us that, you know, cross over and cover, you know, a lot of the, you know, beer products, um, the thing that I liked was the cross-marketing, you know, hitch that they were getting off this. I mean, it would allow, you know, a lot of people that maybe have not approached Brandy to see, hey, this is the Three Floyds, you know, Dark Lord, you know, uh, marketing. And much like you see uh, in brewing with collaboration brewing that uh, sometimes the strength of two is a lot more powerful than the strength of one. And there's a lot of people, you know, you know nodding head. So I thought it was interesting that they picked uh, collaboration with somebody that was not in, you know, uh, the same industry. So um, I thought would have been an interesting play would for them to actually pair up with a French based, you know, brandy maker and possibly blend something, you know, and something very unique. But the flavor profile, especially off the ones that, that were the IPA, those were uh, kind of interesting. Um, it reminded me some of the uh, Corsair uh, hop series. So some of you have seen the um, hop series that Derek does at Corsair that they'll introduce a lot of hops and Corsair makes both beer and spirits and so this was an interesting playoff some of that same concept where somebody was making brandy and then dropping it in a fortified barrel that had been utilized for you know actually aging beer and uh, we'll see how it does in the marketplace uh, I think they said the run was 1100 bottles is that about yeah, right not a lot and, yeah. and we bought a bunch of them I think yeah 49 yeah. yeah. and, and for all of us to actually break out you know the yeah. cash and buy this that says an awful lot so yeah, these are people i'm not going to ask you to rate like it or tell me what you think you've already put your money where your mouth yeah. is so yeah and i think the the one that we that i liked uh, the best that we ended up buying was the uh uh there was a smoked scotch ale uh from against the green which is right great. here right yeah. down the street from where they are that was uh, my favorite yeah that's the one we ended up buying and it's uh and we actually picked up a bottle when we were at against the green the other day we got a bottle of that uh of that scotch ale so i can't 
and actually um, this this podcast will be airing afterwards but tomorrow or well, actually Monday they're having the release party for these and they're going to pair the beers with the brandies that'd be so much fun um, that would be a that. blast yeah. so I can't the wait to tr- boiler maker yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I can't wait to try those at home and you know brandy's boiler not something Inception. but they also had they also had some absinthe they make absinthe there uh, what did everybody think of their of their absinthe? I think I can still taste it a little bit. <laughs> it does stay with you. Yeah, well, and, and this is because the oils in absinthe have uh, have a way of lingering on the tongue. So they were very clear, you know, look, taste everything else you're going to taste and then do the absinthe. Well, just as we walked into the actual uh, dis- distillation room, just as we walked in that, there was just this huge licorice, you know, just smacked you right in the nose. Yeah. And and I didn't recognize that that was what they made there. And, and kind of threw me off i was like did somebody like drop a bottle of something in here you know and so yeah they were actually had finished a run of uh absinthe uh you know actually that morning um you know the thing that kind of caught me about those products is uh, to me absinthe is really good until you start dropping a bunch of flavors into it mm-hmm. and then it's like you're going down the path of kind of creating more of a flavor profile than a fortified product that is of natural grains that you're actually infusing the flavor and i thought that they did a good job of not going overboard with a lot of the flavors and they had four different varieties you know of their particular version there but i think my favorite part about that discussion from uh the distiller was if you're seeing absinthe that is actually green it is a food dye that's been yeah, added is. into the product and real the real absinthe product is actually going to be uh, crystal clear so for those of you that are walking around in new orleans and looking you know for the the green fairy it, it's not green it's a it, clear fairy it should be white yeah <laughs> the white fairy well, so uh, so that was Thursday, and then yesterday we we had a really nice day. We started off down at uh, Four Roses, actually not at the main distillery. We were at the bottling facility, where they, uh, which is about an hour away from the the distillery. They um, they distill in one place, and then they bottle and uh, and package in another one. Uh, but we went through essentially their barrel picking process. And if you're not aware of Four Roses, they have ten. They have uh, two different mash bills, one high rye and one low rye, and then they have five different yeast strains. So they essentially have 10 different bourbons that they make, and uh, their products are various blends of those things. But um, well, we got to try nine of those 10. Uh, did anybody have any, uh, any revelations on that? What did you all think of I, I just thought, it, you know, I'd, I'd been to Four Roses once before, and, and I, I really like their bourbon, but their their actual process of picking a barrel is darn near impossible because they have so many different options. By the time you're done with it, you're not so much picking the one you like the most, you're picking the one that is the most different from everything else mm-hmm. because you've had so many barrel strength bourbons, it's hard to really decide, well, I like the sweetness of this one. And inevitably, you wind up with that V-strain almost yeah. every time. We actually picked the F, but yeah. you wind up with that V-strain, which is the standard single barrel yeah. release because it's the most different from everything else. Yeah. But when you get home with it and you get that one home and you taste it versus other ones and you're only tasting side by side, yeah. inevitably, everyone always says, gosh, I wish I picked a different one. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I thought it was a great experience to really see how the yeast changes the flavor um, and, and comparing them with the different mash bills. I'd never done that before, the, the, done the whole uh, 10 recipe taste comparison and it was fascinating well and it is from a homebrewer's perspective it gave me um that you can always buy the you know tiny little envelopes of yeast that are 50 cents in the or you can pay six dollars for the white yeast uh, uh, products that are very specific to the ale style or specific to the style of whatever you're making and i always wonder is it actually worth 
it? Is it actually going to be that different? Yeah, I believe it is. Uh, I think Four Roses has pretty much proved that, that uh, that the yeast is going to make a huge difference in your product. Well, so the one thing that struck me about that uh, experience was how commoditized that uh, entire process was. I almost felt like you you're almost seeing the man behind the the mirror or behind the screen for understanding the concept of what four roses is doing with their barrel selection program and this is not like a one-off you know they've done this like you know just for a couple of retailers you know here and there this is a active part of their marketing program to have a barrel selection process and i think that seeing that it's done really well. I've been to several, you know, barrel selections where it's like they just roll out the barrels and the thieves and start, you know, serving stuff up and sniff and swirl and, you know, spit and going, you know, well, let's try four or five. And yeah, that don't, this was a lot more organized uh, and commoditized. But again, I think you were seeing the, the crossover between um, what typically is left to the master distiller you're really getting to see you know a lot of the retail space being pulled into the actual manufacturing you know process through an organized marketing activity and i thought that was kind of interesting the other thing that struck me is that trying nine different uh uh, barrel strength bourbons, uh, and they were fairly healthy pours of uh, barrel strength bourbons at uh, at ten thirty in the morning. And white dog too, and some, yeah, white, dog. And some white dog on top of it um, is a great way to start your day. Jenny uh, <laughs> can attest to that. If you if you don't have anything else to do, and you got somebody driving you around for the rest of the day, um, then then it's a fantastic way to start the take, day. Take we highly recommend yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, now that we also got to tour their bottling facility, which they're building a new bottling facility, and they took us to the, what's going to be their new bottling room. Um, or as I would call it, a freaking airplane hanger. <laughs> it's uh, compared because the I mean the one they have now is like the size of my bedroom at home. I mean it's really not the, you know this tiny little line and you think wow they bottle all the four roses right here. It's pretty impressive, but uh, but then their new facility is just massive. I mean literally is probably a couple of basketball courts you could could put in there, um, and uh, they've got a walkway over that they're going to take people over for tours and uh, I mean and right now it's empty. Right now it's completely empty. They're they're just now building the facility, but. Um, but I can't believe how much they're growing. And they still are going to do all the single barrel labels by hand, they said, because mm-hmm. they haven't figured out a machine that can do that weird shaped bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which should be interesting for yeah. the volume they're wanting to put out pretty Yeah, soon. really. If they're really going to ramp up that much, they're just going to have to get an army of people because they had, I mean, their bottling line was run by what, four people, four or five people in there. Was, That'll be part, part of the tour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, get, you get to label a few bottles. It makes them legally handcrafted. Lick, yeah. stick, yeah. and we're yeah. walking. Lick, <laughs> stick, yeah. we're walking. Yeah, can, if you can write a few of these, write out a few labels while on your way, that'd be great. Well, they're and, moving to so much, it's going to be so much more automated. I would think they, they could have a few more people signing bottles. And yeah, they it, can. It makes it a little more economically feasible if you don't have as many people in production to well, that get them all a Sharpie and send them on their way. Definitely that whole concept of that packaging facility reminded me an awful lot of Sierra Nevada Mills River, mm-hmm. uh, or Mills Creek, I'm sorry, uh, and where you could, they had a catwalk that, you know, was kind of over, that was, it was built for as a, you know, a tourist, you know, production facility. Mm-hmm. But even hearing that they were going from a six fill head to a forty fill head, um, you know, uh, after seeing some things like that happen in some other, you know, beverage, you know, packaging facilities, I, I can definitely I, I've seen the backside of of that how what that looks like completed, 
and i think it's gonna be pretty cool and i think a lot of people will want to walk through but yeah it's you know take a sip lick one stick one and we're walking i'm still i'm still not i asked them this specifically too i'm not entirely sure that the logistics of this are going to work out for them i know as the 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 Diageo contract ends and they take on 40% additional capacity on the stills because they're no longer producing for Bullet. Um, they're still talking, if you add 40% on the production side, they're bottling and packaging, they're adding, they're, they're mul it's a multiple um, times increase in the production capacity. So I, I, I still feel like there is going to be a bottleneck at some point of uh, the amount that they can produce versus the amount they can put in a bottle. <laughs> but no pun intended. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is going to lead. We already saw yesterday how they, they didn't have enough of one of their recipes for us to taste. They, they just don't have enough to continue to put out yellow label and, and produce the same amount of of liquor. I think you're going to see more and more of that going forward with Four Roses. Initially, probably a big rush on the market, followed by inability to get certain mash bills. And, well, and we want to give another big shout out to Dan from Four Roses, who... Uh, uh, really took good care of us over the the course of the last couple of days and i have to I have to interject there also to, thanks to dan for because at one point i did see a photo of jenny tonic literally asleep in his lap <laughs> <laughs> not, not only taking care of us as not, a crew, I, I deleted but, that photo. Yeah. i have one from the other angle that looks a little bit dirtier than <laughs> that that is that taking is a care full us. care experience <laughs> yes it was definitely we did get the yes, definitely above get the, and beyond the call of duty above it's the rachel rally award it's official rally. next year it's <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> back from the near dead. Um, so, so we moved on from there, and we went over to a very interesting place called the uh, the Old Taylor Distillery, which is um, which has is not producing any liquor just yet. Uh, it's in fact, it was a very old distillery, very historic distillery that uh, produced its last bottle in I believe 1972. They were saying still had some barrels aging um, for a while after that. In the late 70s, they said maybe. Yeah. So it's been a long time, uh, and this uh, property was recently in the last. I think they said it was about two and two years and change ago. They uh, it was bought. It was uh, uh, it was bought up, uh, and then they hired uh, Marianne Barnes, who is a uh, uh, who is a distiller from uh, a taster from Brown Foreman, to be their uh, to be their master distiller. So we got to tour this facility with Marianne and with the the partners who own the, the facility and. I thought it was fascinating. What did you guys think? Loved it. Amazing. Yes. That I was definitely the, the high point of, yeah. Yeah. of the week. The property so itself history. is just amazing. Um, but you see how much work they've done so far to get it very close to being able to start producing its own yeah. stuff. And then you walk through all the different buildings and realize how much farther they still have to go before the whole thing is done. It's it's an undertaking. And it was responsible for bourbon tourism. It was the mm -hmm. beginning of not only that and of bottled bourbon in any sort of mainstream market, which is you know mm -hmm. the beginning of what we all are doing at this point. Yeah. And this it's, was, it's absolutely walking into a piece of bourbon history. It's yeah. This place you go and you can't even imagine the scale the the amount of land that old taylor distillery takes up and the buildings and everything and the team at old taylor is doing a really great job and this was built as a show place <coughs> it was really built by colonel taylor uh as a show place and uh, i mean as a castle and there's all these you know winds i think they said their gardens were based on windsor castles yeah. uh gardens and they've tried to restore a lot of that. They brought in some uh, serious landscape architects who really made those gardens beautiful again. And these were grown up. I mean, these were just basically grown over. They had to, you know, hack away with machetes to get down to these yeah. fountains again. It felt exactly like a Sleeping Beauty's castle kind of. Uh, oh, right when the prince comes and everything. Yeah, everything's <laughs> grown over and yeah. frozen uh, in time. And the Bourbon Prince. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, really, I really did enjoy that they are growing a lot of their own. Um, 
botanicals, botanicals yeah. right. for use in gin. gin and some other products down the road. They're going to grow those right on on site, literally with walking paths for tourists to go through. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky native neat. stuff and some weird things like catnip, which yeah. is neat. And I think that and and they're supposedly going to have some some gin on the market by June because they've got right now a double gin still, and they said that even they could have they could do custom you know small run batches if you wanted twenty cases of of a particular recipe of gin, they could do that for you. Yeah. So um, we get to talk about their uh, new stuff right here. Yeah. 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 Cancel in case. Excuse me. So, uh, <laughs> so a uh, uh, a bus uh, bus uh, is bus club exclusive is that uh, the name of their brand that they're going to produce out of the old Taylor Distillery is going to called Castle and Key. So uh, that's going to be the official name for these products. And um, uh, Marianne went through a wide variety of their product lineup. So Jonathan talked a little bit about they're going to make a couple of... Uh, four different versions of gin they're gonna have a few gins out and then um i can't there i know they're gonna do some bourbon they're gonna get some it's bourbon gonna be a bottle in. a bottle and bond bourbon yeah bottle and bond bourbon i think that's gonna be their they want their flagship I product think all of us stood up and applauded when she yeah. said that i <laughs> yeah. mean i was just <laughs> like did. wow you talk about so worthy of making that you know in this facility yeah uh, I mean, it was going really back cool. to that that being colonel taylor's uh passion was the bonded uh uh wanted the preferred the bonded version so i think that's that's definitely keeping in the history and of course they can't use the name i mean they can't use the the taylor name that's owned by uh, sazerac owned by sazerac mm-hmm. so they have to uh, uh so they had to come up with a new name for their product but i think it's going to be fantastic i think that the passion behind that place is so evident yeah so be sure and check all of our particular uh, media outlets for more information on castle and key products as yeah. well as uh, keep your eyes peeled for uh you know those products showing up maybe as production hits uh you know in six or seven months you know from now so yeah. and i think that place will be set up as a bourbon trail you know destination tourist place maybe another year i think so. i think in a year yeah. or two it's i think in five years it's going to be stunning oh I it's going to be gonna, amazing it's going to be it's uh, like uh, the disneyland for bourbon drinkers yeah i think it's it's going to be a destination no no doubt well i was actually thinking more like the biltmore than yeah the biltmore <laughs> i mean <laughs> but the size a little biltmore uh biltmore vibe Hopefully they won't charge like a hundred dollars to get in yeah, can have a little, it's a small batch <laughs> after all. i was thinking of a little a little ride you know that yeah. you can step in it's a small world after all just well, for or train plate. tracks. <laughs> yeah, there are train tracks already. So I, I can see Rachel just getting stuck on that on that ride for days on end. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's a good place to be stuck. Yeah, yeah. you're going to be stuck. Uh, well, so we uh, so we finally got back and got to do some uh, the official Bourbon Classic uh, for us kicked off last night. Uh, there've been a lot of events this week, uh, but we all made it to uh, uh, we made it to the cocktail competition last night. This is where they have nine different uh, teams. And it's a small plate. It's a sh- local chef. Uh, they're not all local. They actually were a, few, uh, a couple that were brought in from elsewhere. One from Pittsburgh, and one from, um, and one from New Orleans, from Dickie Brennan's. And uh, the rest are, are local. But they pair a chef with a bartender. The chef does a uh, small plate. The bartender does a cocktail, and they do two different ones. They for the first hour and a half, they do. Uh, classic cocktail compared w- paired with a, a small plate and then the second 90 minutes they do a contemporary cocktail uh, paired with a small plate so what any thoughts did anybody have about this lots and lots and lots of bitters and lots yes. of ginger lots of bitters uh, very bitter i i honestly i i, I re- 
try to compare this to last year and, and w what I really came away with is I don't really feel like a lot of the teams got together beforehand between the bartenders and, and the chefs. I feel like they each probably came with something that they really liked. I think they probably like collaborated with it but I don't feel like they tasted them together and right. yeah, the stuff. Idea yeah. yeah it, it just didn't feel like, the, I didn't feel like a lot of the cocktails and the food really matched Quite it all together. A, a few did but you know uh, a couple did but uh, I guess the uh overall feeling i got with the classic round the problem is how do you make classic cocktails interesting uh and, and something interesting and new because you know there's a couple of boulevardiers frank I, I don't get me wrong i love boulevardiers uh i make them at home all the time but you know it's three ingredients they're equal uh in equal parts and it's just hard to make that interesting hey jonathan it's yeah. commercial time oh, is it commercial time we'll be right back after this break We're here at the, at the Bourbon Classic at the Kentucky Center for the Arts talking with our, our bunch. We were talking about our, uh, we were getting some weird hand signals from our sound guy. Um, I, I know what that one means. Uh, that, that one I'm familiar with. I think it sucks. Yeah. So, okay, next topic. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, start with Bill on this one because I know he's had some thoughts. We're going to talk about disappearing, disappearing age statements. Um, first of all, not everybody listening, I just want to explain really quickly what an age statement is. This is a, if there's a number on a bottle, um, if you have something that says, say, Elijah Craig 12, that means that the youngest bourbon in that bottle is 12 years old. Can't be anything younger than that. Uh, you do not have to put a number on a label. Um, and then uh, it can be whatever you want. So uh, within reason, within laws, it has to be at least four years old and all that. But if you put a number or two, if you put an age statement, two, if, yeah, two. But if you, uh, uh, but if you put a number on there, nothing can be younger. Um, so what's happening to these things, Bill? Remind me again what words I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> um, as the as as bourbons become more popular and as as um, more and more people are, are buying bourbon and the demand increases, uh, the producers are finding it harder and harder to keep barrels in the warehouse. They need to move it quicker so that they can meet demand on some of the younger age products. So they they just can't store barrels as long. So you're you're just seeing all these old iconic bottles that that always had age statements on them. And that age statement is disappearing. We used to have seven years old on all the Weller bottles, and that's gone. And most recently, the one I think that's really hit close to home for me is the Elijah Craig 12-year, which was the iconic age-stated small-batch bourbon. And it that has been for so long. Um, 
what really I think angered a lot of people is that a year ago they took the age off the front of the bottle and every Heaven Hill representative from the checkier, checking your cashier at the gift shop up through the president of the company swore we're not getting rid of the age statement we just wanted to change the the, lab, the look of the label so we moved it to the back and 11 months later it's uh -huh. gone yeah. um, and, and that was frustrating I, I do understand the, eco the economy of the situation I understand that it's harder and harder to age something 12 years before you move it out because you're not making any profit on it for those 12 years and you're just paying taxes. Well, and, you can, and then what, ha what happens is you can start off, you know, for a few months, you can say, oh, it's the same stuff, and you can make it the same stuff for a while, but then gradually you shift that yeah. flavor profile until so you're basically got an eight-year product. And every year that yeah. you, every year that you, every barrel you take that was originally going to be a 12-year-old barrel and you move it to a younger product means that the next batch of that formerly 12-year-old product is going to be that much younger yeah. until you get to whatever that new minimum is. And with no age statement on the bottle at all, it could be, four it could be a four-year-old yeah. product in five years, yeah. and we would so never know except that it weird. tastes like garbage. <laughs> well, the thing that strikes me uh, about this is another crossover into the wine world. And so uh, how many of you have had uh, vintage Galileo? Yeah, because it did exist at one point in time. Um, and they moved much through the same path where they moved to non-vintage blends in the wine world. And uh, the thing that I don't think that the bourbon producers are recognizing here is that once you walk through that door, you cannot walk back through it. So you can't, you know, market as Elijah uh, 12 take the age statement off for five years and then bring it back and think that consumers are not going to be confused with that over time as well and so i think um this is uh one it's not a novel marketing concept at all and the thing is is that i don't believe that a lot of these uh a lot of the producers recognize uh that they're going to have to undo what they're doing right now and what is going to be the long-term harm to their brand uh, by you know going through that one-way door uh, because and the question is in five in five years are they going to come back out with an Elijah Craig 12 and charge $55 a bottle for it? Well, I, what I don't understand is yeah, that if you if you need to put Classic, out Elijah yeah. Craig if you can't support the 12 year and the volume that you're doing it now and, they, and their excuse is they want to grow the brand I mean they want to sell more of it than they are today yeah. but if you can't if, if it's a matter of not being able to support what you're doing today and you want to put out a younger product that's called Evan Williams yeah, you already exactly. do that, already do that. Yeah. You, you, all you're doing now is, is diminishing the, the, the value in the brand that you've been building for the last 25 years yeah. you're cheapening your premium stuff you should you should increase production of your cheaper stuff not right. decrease the premium i pay more for the 12 sure absolutely yeah, i mean there's a reason evan williams is ten dollars a fifth i mean it's fine but it's uh you know you pay more for a premium product for, well, that, for that age yeah and this is exactly the problem with craft distilleries is a lot of them kind of neglect the age statement the one that i really appreciate is smooth ambler they released contradiction about two years ago and they listed on the back how much of a percentage that it was of their two-year-old weeded bourbon and of MGP's uh, seven or eight-year-old or actually they use their ten-year-old um, rye bourbon mm -hmm. and just knowing that is something that the market really appreciates and I don't know why a lot of the bigger producers are kind of backing away from that. And they've been putting out like their different ages as it goes through in those very small bottles, the smooth ambler ones. And that's been fun to try because you know it's exactly what's in there, what's coming from there still. And at some point they switch from a pot still to a column still. And so that's kind of fun to compare those two. But you know, give us something to try. We like yeah. it. Yeah. 
So let's uh, let's move on. Uh, accelerated aging. Uh, what is, uh, somebody explain explain <laughs> the idea only of accelerated. ACDC. <laughs> All right. ACDC. Me and Chris have done a lot of research into <laughs> into the accelerated aging techniques, and we have not actually researched ACDC's impact on we should, aging. We should do a controlled I mean, experiment. I'm all for it. I'm betting it's going to make it a lot better. Yeah. It, it can't hurt. Well, so the, the um, basic idea is you take something that's young and make it taste older than it actually is. And the oldest method that we've seen out there is almost like the barrel tea method. So you have your young distillate, six months to a year, whatever, chop up the barrel that it was in or a barrel of something that had older whiskey in it, put that in there. Places do it a little bit differently, like Cleveland uses an oxygenation technique and mixes it around. Comes out, it supposedly tastes older. Idea being more surface area on the barrel chip, you're getting more in and out expansion. It's not good. It has not worked. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to flip the question around. Which is the greater sin? Removal of the age statement or accelerated aging? I mean, as long as they're upfront about what yeah. they're doing, uh, uh, the accelerated aging techniques, okay, fine, whatever. I mean, educated and customer, basically. Yeah, the disappearing age statements is a greater sin, in my opinion. I, I don't even know if I can call it a sin. It's just really unfortunate. It's disappointing. It's definitely you know, a sin. I, I understand economy, the economies of the business necessitate some of those things, but it's really sad to see if you've been yeah. a bourbon fan. It for sounds like you're trying to get something months. over on your customers. Yeah, I mean, that's does. kind of what you're doing. I, and I did not see the price of Elijah Craig go down when the whiskey got younger, by right. the way. So. Exactly. No. Well, and this is something you see a lot in the craft beer industry now because there's such a demand out there for barrel-aged uh, beers and but there are only so many bourbon barrels there yeah. aren't uh, you know it's it's very it's getting hard to get old bourbon barrels now for people to uh, to age their beers in so so there are a lot of people out there trying to figure out what go, what makes that flavor profile happen what are those compounds but they're yeah. starting to learn their lessons a little bit on that that accelerated aging in a in a bourbon barrel beer is not always a good thing it doesn't always have the effect that you want yeah i think that the distilling industry has yet to learn that lesson yeah yeah, yeah when the accelerating aging it it hurts the company that's doing it yeah People will learn exactly. and hmm. where the loss of the age statements hurts the industry and yeah it's a big difference yeah and the only the only one that kind of excited us was lost spirits which i don't know if you guys have heard about them yes. they have like a bomb reactor they call it it's this proprietary it's i mean bomb. it looks like a little metal sphere like something from a james bond movie um, and they've tried to take the science such that they actually esterify the short chain fatty acids first, so lengthening those, which give you a lot of the flavors. Mm -hmm. Then they put in charred oak, break that down to extract aldehydes and esters, get more flavor. And then they do a third step, which further uh, lengthens those chains into medium and long chain uh, fatty acids. And they did a rum that supposedly had the same chemical analysis as a 30 year old uh, historic sample in something like two years, was a year and a half, two years. Right. So better um, liquor through chemistry. Exactly, which yeah. is the title of our article that we wrote about this. If you want to look it up exactly. on bottom of the barrel. Um, but that one sounds cool. I haven't tasted it. Supposedly they're going to be doing a bourbon soon. Um, I don't have much faith, but I enjoy that they're actually like delving that deep into it and trying to figure out rather than we chop this up and we put it, you know. There, there is a lot of effort <laughs> yeah. and research going into it. And uh, I'm skeptical mm -hmm. of the ones I haven't tried, and I actually got to try one uh, sometime a number of months after we wrote our, our article going through all these things. Um, but Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah. Not Bonnie and Clyde. Hatfield, Hatfield and McCoy. McCoy. Yeah. One of those. Hatfield and McCoy. So they uh, use the Terra Pure 
process. Which has bought the Charles Medley Distillery, by the way. So they're <laughs> going to be putting out a product through them. I have tried something with a terrapier, but it wasn't that. It uh, it was good. It's not worth the $45 that they're charging for it, but it was good. And then I got, you know, the, the owner was there at this uh, whiskey festival I was at in South Carolina. And it's made in Charleston. And they distill, you know, product, and they put it through the terrapure process, which does magic stuff. And it looks it's a like Chick-fil-A the Chick-fil-A lemonade, Chick-fil-A lemonade machine. Lemonade yeah. machine. <laughs> so <laughs> that takes, you know, a couple hours or however long it takes. They literally then put it into a bag full of chopped up barrels for 18 hours, and they're done. Hmm. And it's very drinkable. I mean, it was it was very drinkable, and it was uh, interesting in that regard. If they priced it lower, it'd be mm-hmm okay but but i'd love to do a blind tasting someday like maybe next year at the classic or something bring some of these in so we can tell the difference yeah. Yeah. We, did, we did a blind tasting of uh cleveland oh yeah and knob creek that's like not a fair comparison i mean you need to do something way lower on the shelf I, well i i did that because that's what they said they really they, put, yeah, they, no, they, they, they said they would put their up and put it yeah. up against that so no like no is what you're saying <laughs> that's okay another non-sponsor of any of yeah. <laughs> so let's do one more topic uh let's talk about up-and-coming distilleries that people are excited about starlight distillery out starlight. of uh, sorry i'm so excited about this place so they just started they started distilling bourbon and grain spirits in Everyone's laughing at me. I'm but laughing. I'm She's really so excited, excited. because <laughs> they're sponsoring your site. That's yeah. why you leaked out your chair, Melissa. So. That's not true. I know, I know, but I, you know, I thought they should be paying you as, oh, as much God. enthusiasm as you no, have. No, they're, really they're great friends. They make some fantastic bourbon at only two years old because they're doing all of the right things. They're not trying to shortcut the aging process. They're doing 50, 53 gallon barrels. They're making it in good, wholesome ways. They're using their own corn from their own farms it's just really really great bourbon at the age and they're also making fantastic gin rock and rye and all sorts of stuff unfortunately it's only distributed to kentucky and indiana so good wholesome ways so they don't play acdc yeah they do not play acdc to <laughs> their barrels as only far as i know they play yeah. hymns hymns uh, <laughs> what are uh, so what are some others that people are excited about up and coming I mean, Smooth Ambler, I've been excited about for a long time, but yeah. I think they're now a player. I don't think they're up and coming anymore. Um, but the Peerless Rye, that's got me me really excited. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to yeah. that. Up and coming, this is kind of cheating, but the Evan Williams Experience, oh, downtown yeah. Louisville, they do, we got the opportunity last year with the Bourbon Classic to taste their one-year-old product. Charlie Downs. Already yeah. fantastic. Yeah, very good. It was I mean, amazing they obviously put it in their sweet spots in the warehouses, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that will be exciting whenever they eventually get around to selling Along it, if I can lines, find it. I think the rye that we tasted at 10 months at Kentucky Peerless was yes, fantastic, was and I would... Yeah. I will be more than I will happy be to buy it. We all like that, in case you can't tell. Right? I'll be in line to buy that. I'm sure it won't be cheap, but I still want one. So. <laughs> I like Few Spirits. I've, I've had some really good stuff from there, and I think they're going to... They're going to be doing some good things. I haven't had them, but their bottle design is gorgeous. I love mm-hmm. the old, old-timey medicinal type bottles that they they have. All right, let's. Uh, so one more, one more question. Anything anybody's excited about trying tonight? Tonight is the tonight is the grand tasting at the the Bourbon Classic, which means there's say what gives you a bourboner for what tonight? gives you, what gives you a bourboner uh, for tonight? No pepper bourbon cocktails. <laughs> 
but anything in particular that is out there that you've not uh, not gotten your your hands on? I think most people here tend to get their hands on things that they they want to try. But we saw some cases of Stag Junior downstairs, and that's one of my favorites. Yeah, so I'm yeah. very very yeah. happy to sip on some. That's of that. exciting. Uh, yeah. I didn't have any of the Eagle Rare out of out of BTAC uh, this year, mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah, that's one thing that uh, I didn't try this this year's release. Yeah, I'm always curious to see what Wild Turkey's got, just because yeah. I love pretty much everything they. Oh, they their new single barrel rye. Have you had it yet? I have not, and so I'm looking forward to it's that. It's good. And, yeah, and every time I, I go to buy a bottle, I just can't pick which one I want, and uh, uh, so so I'm looking forward to just seeing what they've got. Uh, and they're doing the Forgiven again, which I thought was actually I, I kind of I kind of liked it. I mean, it it was different. It was a, a uh, but I'm curious just to see what they've got going on now. Yeah, I thought it was interesting was how everybody just drew a dead blank when you threw the question. And I'm like, wow, I've tried almost nearly everything that's on the market. Holy cow. I, I've got a really weird one. Like the Calumet, which they made a cocktail out of last night that was true. really good. I haven't had the bourbon, so I I'm, wouldn't try that. I saw some cases being loaded in yeah. downstairs, so we're happy, happy, happy about that. Huh. Well, I guess it's uh, it's time to close it down. We got to go get some uh, get some bourbon drunk. So uh, I'm just going to go around and um, these pants have got to come off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be relocating my seat. <laughs> Closer Everybody, to Darren's so, lap. So let's uh, we'll just kind of go around. Uh, Sips, suds, and smokes. Where can we find you? Hey, you can uh, find us on a lot of radio stations uh, almost all over the globe. We're on about 200 radio stations. You can reach us online www.sipsudsandsmokes.com. Our outlets online are on iTunes. Our native uh, host is Spreaker. You can catch us on... Um we have our own Android app. We're on Stitcher. We're on YouTube. Uh, they are difficult just, to avoid. Yeah. Well. <laughs> we're the, we're the, the internet. We're the noise in your. We're the noise in your ear every week. So yeah, definitely check us out. And uh, thanks for hosting this, Jonathan. So Modern Thirst. Where can we find you? We're at modernthirst.com, and you can find our new podcast on iTunes and several other. Um, everywhere you find. Pretty your much podcasts. everywhere. Yeah. Uh, bottom of the barrel. Yeah, you can find us at uh, bottomofthebarrelbourbon.com. Uh, Twitter's a good place for us. We reply quickly if you've got questions. And we don't have any of these uh, sort of big fancy equipment or anything, so we can answer pretty quick and get it recorded. Uh, at Bottom of the Barrel, BOTB Bourbon, Twitter. That's it. And uh, so Bourbon and Banter, where where we find you? We're at www.bourbonbanter.com. Uh, and you can also find me, Melissa Alexander, at A Glass of History on Twitter. Nice. The Charlie Tonic Hour, where would we find you? We're, of course, at charlietonic.com and at bars all over the city of Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> passed, passed out in, uh, in alleyways uh, across, Actually, across the Queen really City. really rare for Jenny. Jenny, Jenny is a... <laughs> she is a champion. Really? It was a nap. <laughs> it was a nap. Oh, she was, she was a champion. She was a champion. And Lazarus, I mean, she came back from the dead. From she the was, dead. She it was, was she stunning. Was by the there end. should she be a bourbon named after her. That's really <laughs> Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus bourbon. Lazarus bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. Is that old, uh, they ought to name a bourbon after? you yes uh, and uh eight piece box you can find at eightpiecebox.com uh you can find uh the podcast on itunes we have one episode up this will be number two uh and at eight piece box um uh on twitter and instagram you can also hear it uh the first wednesday of every month on 88.7 wmmt in beautiful downtown whitesburg kentucky so uh, i want to thank everybody for being here again we want to thank dan and the folks at four roses want to thank lorraine and the bourbon classic uh want to thank uh mint julep Tou- tours and our man larry uh, i want to thank matt over at haymarket want to thank the folks at eight up um elevated eatery and drinkery i don't know eight up it was awesome uh, i want to thank uh the late great elmer t lee um and <laughs> that's that was, about it so that was the most important product of the table <laughs> yeah <laughs>
All right, check us all out. We're going to go drink some bourbon. We'll see you later. Cheers. 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 Hey, we hope you've enjoyed this episode covering the Bourbon Classic Festival in Louisville, Kentucky. Those folks on this episode have some really great coverage on bourbon that you should check out. Hey, we love your feedback as well, and you can reach us online anytime at info at sipsudsandsmokes.com. Our daily tasting notes flow out on Twitter every day. Our handle on Twitter is at sipsudsmokes, and our Facebook page is always buzzing with lots of news. Another quick thanks to the Bourbon Review and Lorraine at FSA for inviting us to cover this really great event. If you love bourbon, you should make plans to attend this great bourbon festival next year. For now, join us once again on another episode of Sip, Suds, and Smokes. This is good old boy Mike asking you to keep on sipping. been a one tan hand production of sip suds and smokes a program devoted to the appreciation of some of the finer slices of life from the dude in the basement studios your host the good old boys will see you all next time